Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield College in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. Hi, my name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Grace Evanstad. We're at Domain Serene. It is August 24th, 2018. And Grace, we're going to start you off by asking, why wine? Well, Ken and I came to wine a little late, I guess. We both um, grew up in Minnesota and different parts of Minnesota in houses where our parents didn't drink. And so, um, and wine back in the 40s, 50s was not consumed a whole lot, mm-hmm. not the way it is now. So we were, um, we were adults and had, we actually, at a friend's house, had our first meal with food and wine paired with each other in Alaska, of all places. <laughs> <laughs> and we fell in love with the concept. It was something we had really never thought of. And um, we got into it in a very big way after that. I don't think we ever had friends over again without serving wine with a meal. <laughs> and um, started thinking that we wanted to visit wineries, we wanted to learn more Mm -hmm. about this. Mm -hmm. And we spent um, all of our vacation time, it seems, going to wineries somewhere, vineyards somewhere in the world, uh, learning as much as we could about it. And we knew by the early 70s that someday we wanted to have our own winery. But we were living in Minnesota, my husband had started a pharmaceutical company, Mm -hmm. we had kids there and uh, the timing just wasn't right to make a move. Mm -hmm. So we waited until 89 when the kids were gone and my husband uh, had more help at his place of work and could leave more often. Mm -hmm. And we decided, we had decided since the 70s that Pinot Noir was what we loved. And um, we we had the Burgundies, um, Red red Burgundy is Pinot Noir, of course. Mm -hmm. And America really wasn't making much Pinot. And it was very hard to find a domestic Pinot Noir. And we didn't understand that. We thought somebody should be making it. And California had pretty much given up on it. They were uh, growing it mostly in Napa, and it was really too warm. And um, we heard that people in Oregon were making Pinot, and we thought, well, let's go give it a try. So in 89, we came here and bought some land that had been a forest. Um, we bought it in December in uh, the worst fog that I've ever seen. We were following a real a vineyard real estate agent to this place, mm-hmm. and we hadn't realized the fog was so dense that we were going way uphill. <laughs> we couldn't see 30 feet in front of us oh when the car stopped and so we asked about the property. We really couldn't see it and um, we had no idea that it was such an incredible mess after logging. We mm-hmm. didn't understand what that meant. And then um, we went back to Minnesota and when we came out um, a couple of months later after getting the word that the soil was good, mm-hmm. we had um, a viticulturalist check the soil and whatnot. Uh, we, we couldn't find the property. <laughs> we, we didn't recognize it at all from, uh, from what we had seen in that dense fog. 
but um, we happen to have a hilltop and a west-facing slope. And from the hilltop, we had 360-degree views. We couldn't understand why anybody wouldn't want the property. And we asked other winemakers, and they said, well, the elevation's too high, and nobody grows on west-facing slopes. So you just won't be able to do very well with this property at all. Um, which turned out to be totally false. It's one of our best vineyards. <laughs> so um, we, we spent some time getting things cleared up about three years, actually. And during that time, phylloxera was discovered in Oregon. So we realized we had to plant on um, rootstock and not own rooted. So that took a little longer, mm -hmm. too. We finally got the vines in the ground in 93. And our first baby harvest was in 95. That's the Mark Bradford Vineyard. And since then, we've continued to um, uh, purchase neighbor, neighboring property. Mm -hmm. um, the, the estate that we have now called the Evanstead Estate had all been one forest with, it's quite unusual because we have east-facing slope, west-facing slope, and a south-facing mm. slope and it had been split into three pieces. We were the last to be purchased. And over the next seven years, we were able to purchase the other two pieces and put it back together again. Um, and we were really only interested in making Pinot Noir, but one of the parcels that we bought had been planted to Dijon clones of Chardonnay as well as Pinot Noir. And uh, when we first came here, we had tried the Chardonnay and did not care for Chardonnay at all and realized that in Oregon it had a terrible reputation uh, because it, we were using clones from California and they just didn't get ripe. So it was pretty nasty stuff and we said, well, we'll never be in the Chardonnay business. And then we bought this property that had the Dijon clones which arrived in 1990, 91. And um, we were just shocked at how wonderful they were and started planting more Chardonnay after that. So, and we've continued to purchase land. Mm -hmm. um, we have some land in the Ola Hills as well, which we kind of bought as an insurance policy when in 98 we had terrible fruit set because of mm -hmm. heavy rain um, at Bloom. Mm -hmm. And we were getting as little as half a ton an acre of fruit that year. And we thought, well, and the Ola Hills, Amity Hills hadn't been affected at all by this rain. You know, the microclimates mm -hmm. can be quite, mm -hmm. quite different. So we thought, well, we should really get some property there in case this ever happens again. It's very hard to be without fruit for a year sure. when you're in business. Sure. So, so we bought a property that is um, on Jerusalem Hill mm -hmm. in the Eola Hills. And then we. Um, Started out with a, a makeshift winery in McMinnville and then bought the glove factory in Carleton and um, realized we really didn't want to be in the city where they, you have city water mm -hmm. and arbitrarily somebody will dump chlorine or something in it just about the time you want to wash a barrel or do something with water. <laughs> so we thought we would really like to um, be away from a city and have our own wells where we could control the quality of the water better. And as luck would have it, here in the Dundee Hills, a property was for sale that was owned by Laurent Perrier in France. And they had purchased it shortly after the Druens did in 1988. 
and they were going to plant for sparkling wine there. Mm -hmm. And they never got around to it and put it up for sale. So we bought it, and that's where our winery is now. Mm -hmm. That started out as um, an 80-acre piece of property, and we've been able to annex land there now so that it's 430 acres now. But not all planted to vine. With all the acreage we have, which is almost 1,000 acres, we only have 270 planted to vine. Well, you know the rolling hills. There are always areas that aren't so good for planting, and it's nice to save the forests and the ravines and sure. have other things going on, <laughs> not just land strip there. Sure, sure. So when you got into wine, when you discovered wine, and all of a sudden it became kind of a passion of yours, what was it about Burgundy particularly that made that what you wanted to drink and then eventually grow? Um, as I had mentioned before, Burgundy was producing Pinot Noir, mm -hmm. and when we tasted it, we fell in love mm -hmm. with it. And we said, this is a grape variety that we just like better than anything else, mm -hmm. except uh, also white Burgundy, which is Chardonnay. Mm -hmm. And um, those were the two wines that we chose to drink. There was Chardonnay available from many different places. Mm -hmm. It's grown all over the world and and well in many places, mm -hmm. but not Pinot Noir. It's, sure. it's pretty specific about where it wants to be grown mm -hmm. to make great wine. So um, so we drank a lot of Burgundy. We got to know Burgundy very well, and I think that was very helpful to us when we got in the wine business mm -hmm. in Oregon. Speaking of Oregon, when you, when you, were, when you were kind of deciding and, and hearing that Oregon was growing Pinot Noir, maybe that's where you want to go, had you had any experience in the state before? What was your first impression of Oregon when you got here? Um, we had been once to the IPNC at Linfield and um, had tasted a lot of different Pinot Noirs then. Mm -hmm. um, Oregon, I think, is one of the most beautiful places. It's, it's interesting, though. Vines like to grow in beautiful places. <laughs> um, and that we think that the climate here is, is really perfect for Pinot Noir. Mm -hmm. Um, in, in 2015, we actually went full circle and, and bought a wine business and vineyards in Burgundy. Oh, really? That's right. Called Chateau de la Craie. Mm -hmm. And we have realized this is our fourth harvest, which is actually starting tomorrow um, in, in France. Mm -hmm. um, the, the weather is, is much easier to grow here mm -hmm. than there. And um, it's actually quite difficult. It's amazing that they can make such good wines with the hail and mm -hmm. the frost mm -hmm. and the rot, the humidity, mm -hmm. which causes the rot during the summer, sure. which we don't have here. So um, it, it's, a, it's a great honor to be farming these ancient vineyards. And we love it. And, um, and we're making very nice wine, mm -hmm. but it's it's much more of an effort there than it is here. <laughs> sure. Uh, when you started in Oregon, when you, when you moved here and got the business started, what were your initial impressions of the Oregon wine industry and, and some of the people who were in it? Well, people were really pioneers then. Uh, some people had been here 15 years, but there wasn't an infrastructure to support the wineries. Mm -hmm. So it was still really in its infancy. Mm -hmm. We looked to California for the nurseries, 
-hmm. for the product that we planted. Um, we didn't have transportation or warehouses here. Mm -hmm. If um, nobody was selling outside of Oregon, pretty much, mm -hmm. maybe a little in Washington, California, where they drive the wine down themselves. You know, it was it was that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, the industry was really in its infancy, mm -hmm. and people were having a lot of fun with it. And um, we really enjoyed everybody we met. Everybody was helpful. Mm -hmm. It was a small community. It started growing quite rapidly a few years after we came in the mid-90s, mm -hmm. late 90s, mm -hmm. and ever since. Um, I think we have over 700 wineries mm -hmm. now. Yeah, pushing 800 now. Pushing eight. It's yeah. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as you were uh, sort of developing practices here, were there any, was there anybody in particular or any uh, groups in particular that you looked to for kind of advice on how to grow grapes in these hills? Uh, Joel Myers was our vineyard manager from the very beginning and was until about five years ago. So um, he probably knew as much as anybody. He mm -hmm. lived here all of his life, had been involved in other farming, but then started early with grapes. I think he, he helped David Lett plant the first vineyard yep. here. So um, we got a lot of information from him. Mm -hmm. um, many of the winemakers hadn't worked with Pinot Noir until they came here. And so everybody was kind of learning at once. Uh, Dick Erath was enormously helpful to many of the new people who came because he had this big vineyard. And of course, we, we started making wine in 1990 and we didn't have our own um, fruit until 95. So we were searching for for land, that somebody, for somebody who was a grower mm -hmm. to sell their fruit to us. And he was helpful to almost everybody who came. Sure, sure. Yeah. So how did you come up with the name Domain Serene? Serene is our daughter's name. Um, we were, my husband and I met on a blind date arranged by a friend of mine named Serene. <laughs> so when we had our first child, we named her Serene, and then we named the winery after her. So that's how it came about. And Domain uh, is a word that is used in France, in Burgundy, only when you own your own vineyard, you grow the fruit and you make the wine mm -hmm. from it. And so they very proudly use the name Domain when they can, mm -hmm. because oftentimes they don't own the vineyards. They might even be farming them, but they don't own them. Sure. So we decided, um, because of our love of Burgundy, we designed a label that has elements of France and elements of, of America on it. Mm -hmm. And we, we wanted to use the, the name Domain because we knew that we would always have our estate fruit. Were there any um, kind of unforeseen challenges or complications as you were getting started? Obviously, you were kind of looking for sites, and you had to find fruit from some places and make your make your wine some places. Was there anything that you weren't expecting when you got into the wine business? Um, I'm not really clear what my expectations <laughs> were when we got in the wine business. It was so new to both of us, mm -hmm. so everything was kind of new and surprising. My husband had, had studied up on winemaking quite a bit, mm -hmm. but um, just the whole experience was just very exciting, and I still think that harvest is just the most exciting time of the year. <laughs> I love it. Uh, we were very um, 
involved in everything. I think um, we hadn't realized that that we needed some pretty expensive equipment mm -hmm. um, to make the wine. And we were um, making do with um, sort of cast off things that other other wineries said, oh, here, I started out with this. Now I've moved on to something fancier. You can, <laughs> you can buy this. And so we were hand bottling our wine and hand corking wine, which is not a good idea. It's really <laughs> hard on the cork. Uh, but it, it was what we had mm -hmm. at first. Mm -hmm. So um, we had to do, we had to make a lot of capital uh, improvements. Sure, so. sure. Kind of training wheels stuff to take off there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And but it was fun, and we've always been involved in the winemaking mm -hmm. process. Um, we had one of the first sorting lines, mm -hmm. uh, which came from an idea that we picked up in Australia when we saw a big snake go in with the grapes into the auger and we went, ah, <laughs> we're not going to let that happen at our winery. <laughs> Uh, was there an original vision for Domaine Serene as you as you were getting started? Did you have kind of an ultimate goal in mind? We wanted to make really great Pinot Noir from the beginning. That that was our mission. Um, the Chardonnay came later, mm -hmm. but um, we loved drinking great Pinot Noir, mm -hmm. and we just didn't understand why it wasn't happening in America. Mm -hmm. And I have to tell you, because of our knowledge of Burgundy and all the wonderful Burgundies we had tried, when we tried our first wine that we made in 1990, when it was finally ready to release, we knew we were in the right place. Mm -hmm. And I don't think at that time there were as many people, um, that there were very many winemakers who really understood that this is probably the best place in the world to make Pinot Noir. And um, from what we tasted that first year, we said the potential is sure. here for sure. sure. And we've um, been trying to, of course, make better Pinot Noir every year. Sure. And, uh, <laughs> and it really is a great place. In terms of the, the place here, besides the wine, how have your goals evolved in terms of sort of the hospitality part of what you're doing? Well, we really never intended to be in hospitality. <laughs> and, and when we, um, when we bought or built this winery in 2001, we moved in for harvest, we did not build it with a tasting room. We were just so focused on making wine <laughs> that um, we just we didn't think we wanted to get into that, and then people started knocking on the door, and we realized that it was a mistake not to be open to the public. Mm -hmm. People loved the wine; they came from all over the United States, wanting to mm -hmm. see the people who made it and where it was made. So we turned what was supposed to be in our dining room into a tasting room, and um, that was in 2006. Mm -hmm. And then we realized what a joy it was to see the people who loved our wine. I mean, we, we just hadn't thought that whole thing through, you know, in <laughs> sure. the beginning. But it's wonderful um, to have the people who buy your wine come and visit and get to know them. Mm -hmm. And um, so hospitality has really grown here. Mm -hmm. I think last year we had close to 60,000 people visit. 
which is shocking for Oregon. Mm -hmm. But we built the clubhouse and moved in um, a year ago, mm -hmm. this last May. Mm -hmm. And I think it's attracted a lot of people. We can certainly handle more now. Mm -hmm. Our little dining room was getting so crowded. <laughs> Even in the winter, we had tents outside with heaters in them and mm -hmm. things to try to accommodate people. <laughs> but now the word has gotten out that there's a nice, comfortable place to be, and, and people are coming. And now we're involving food with our tastings, mm -hmm. which we really always wanted to do when we start. We don't think it's a good idea to just go around drinking wine all day and not having any food with it. Sure. And the opportunity to actually have a chef and have them have him prepare food that goes with specifically different wines mm -hmm. is um, very interesting to people. It's a very fun thing to do, too. Mm -hmm. I find myself doing the 45th parallel <laughs> tasting with friends when they come to visit. Sure. And it is a lot of fun. But um, it takes a lot of people. And in the beginning, um, all of us had such small wineries, and it was oftentimes just a winemaker and an assistant. Mm -hmm. And you, we just didn't have time to have somebody come. Mm -hmm. you know, we were just busy doing something all the time. Sure. So it does, it does take a team, especially when you see a lot of people. Sure. Too, because you want everybody to have a good time and to be well taken care of and get enough attention and be able to tell your story and so on and so forth. Exactly. Yeah. When you were designing both this building and the new clubhouse, did you have a model in mind? What was your vision for the, for the kind of architecture of the place? Well, I guess it came from the house that we built, and the house that we built was on the first, is on the first property um, that we bought. And we had a love affair going on with Provence in France. Mm -hmm. And um, we decided that we wanted to, to build a house that looked like that. And we wanted cheerful colors inside. In the winter when it's so gray out, so most of the walls inside are painted yellow, so it looks like the sun is shining when it's not. It's a good idea. <laughs> and then I guess we were just kind of into that style. Mm -hmm. um, Let's see, we started this, we just finished our house. It took a number of years uh, to get it done. Uh, we found that general contractors and all their employees don't really want to go way out in the country when they live in Portland to build a house. So we, we had a lot of trouble getting it done. Um, I think we finished in late 97. And we started on this building in 99. So we were kind of into that mode. Mm -hmm. We, we knew how to source stuff that looked like that and so on and so forth. So this sure. building has uh, somewhat the same look. Mm -hmm. And um, we built a little guest house across the courtyard when we built this and that has the same look. So when we built the clubhouse, we thought, well, we've got a little campus going up here. We should really stay with the same look and you know, not do something dramatically mm -hmm. different. Campus, I like that. Good, the wine. It's a wine campus. I like it. It, it, it kind <laughs> of is. And since we built the winery, we it was harvest two thousand one mm -hmm. when we made our first um, wine here. I think we've added on to it four or five times. It was supposed to be big enough to make twenty thousand cases, and when we moved in here, I think we were making maybe five thousand, mm -hmm. and now we're up to around 40,000, depending upon the year. Sure. So um, we know how important it is because we've, we've made wine ourselves, how important it is to have enough space sure. at harvest time. Mm -hmm. 
because we don't ever want a winemaker making decisions based on lack of space. Mm -hmm. And that happens in almost every winery. Okay. So you can't pick a crop because your fermenters are full or you have to move your move the wine out of fermenters sooner than you'd want to because you have to pick more crop. You know, there's sure. a, the decisions aren't good. So we'd have a lot of fermentation space. And we use small fermenters, so it takes a really lot of fermentation <laughs> space. And we just built, uh, we're going to have our first harvest in it, a, a white wine only winery here. Right. It's, um, it's just on the back side of this winery. They're not connected. There's a courtyard in between. Um, but we were realizing not, not only is it inconvenient to do both red and white, if you've been sorting Pinot Noir and some white comes in, you know, you have to hose everything down, scrub everything up so you're not getting pink Chardonnay. <laughs> and, um, it's, and oftentimes, that, well, the Chardonnay wants the press right away and maybe you're pressing Pinot. I mean, it, it's, mm -hmm. it's inconvenient, but also we were finding that because Pinot is such a little princess and needs so much attention during harvest that the Chardonnay was being ignored and we didn't want that to happen. Sure. We wanted the Chardonnay to get all the attention it deserves, so sure. we will have separate winemakers and we have separate equipment in this white winery. It's quite small. It's not going to be able to hold too many barrels, sure. but, um, but there's gonna be plenty of room to make the white wine, to make the Chardonnay there. So it'll be a fun harvest to have those two separate and see how that goes. We're always trying to make things a little better. Sure, sure. And our, our vision for Oregon is that um, we, we would love it if everybody's mission was to make the best wine possible. That is the way um, having many people producing great wine is the way a region becomes well known. Um, so there are many producers that are making great wine. Mm -hmm. um, I guess my, my fear for the years to come is that once a, once an area gets a great reputation, people come in who um, their goal maybe isn't to make the best wine, it's to make a whole bunch of wine. Mm -hmm. And um, with Pinot Noir you can't make a whole lot and mm -hmm. have it be really good. Okay. And the, the best ground for growing grapes is uh, shrinking. Um, but if somebody wants to come in and plant on the valley floor where they can, you know, get eight, ten tons an acre and make a million cases of wine, I, um, I don't think that's really helpful and I hope that Oregon will not start going in that direction mm -hmm. and that quality will always, uh, always be the prime thing that people want. You know, it's, it's really interesting that in relatively short period of time. Oregon is known by people who, who know Oregon, mm -hmm. they think of it as really top Pinot Noir. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's a wonderful thing. And I really want, I really want that to continue sure. in the years that come. Sure. Because it is, it is the best place to grow Pinot. So why not try to make the very best you possibly can? Sure. How would you describe Domaine Serene's wine style? What would you want people? To, how would you want people to describe your wine? Um, usually, it is described as um, 
complex mm -hmm. and um, balanced mm -hmm. and yummy. <laughs> we hear yummy a lot. <laughs> and, um, and we hope that, um, that on many occasions it's also compelling. Mm -hmm. Is there a particular favorite you have, a favorite vintage here, or a, one of your, or a label, a favorite label that you have, or? Oh, well, you know, when we started out, we just had two labels. We had um, Evanstead Reserve mm -hmm. and what is now called our Yamhill Cuvée, and that was all we made and for the first eight years. Mm -hmm. And now, I think, I think I counted that with Domaine Serene wines alone, we have 17 different labels of Pinot Noir. Uh, seven of them are blends, and the rest are single vineyards. And at Chateau de la Croix, um, I don't, I don't even know. We have 18 different vineyards, but sometimes with, with one vineyard, we'll make more than more than one label. Mm -hmm. So, um, right off the top of my head, I don't know. But it's a, it's a lot to keep track of. <laughs> And uh, there are some vintages where there are some wines that, that I've really never had with a meal. Mm -hmm. um, we always are involved in the, in the blending of the wine and deciding what is going to be what label with mm -hmm. our winemaking team, uh, Ken and I are. Mm -hmm. um, and nothing is bottled without our approval. But sometimes then years go by and I never actually have that <laughs> wine because we have so many labels. Sure. <laughs> Things have changed. Sure. And we also have quite a few labels of Chardonnay, mm -hmm. both in France and here. So you talked about Oregon Chardonnay when you got here and how disappointing it was, mm -hmm. and then you were you, you you got the right clones in the ground. You got some good Chardonnay. What do you think of other Oregon Chardonnays now? Is the Oregon Chardonnay up, upping its game along with you guys? It really is. It really is, and it's it's all about these these great clones mm -hmm. that we were able to get from France. Mm -hmm. um, Yes, I think there are some very good Chardonnays from Oregon now. We, we were very honored, um, uh, when was it, Seven, 17 or 16? Our um, Evanstead Reserve Chardonnay was number two on Wine Spectator's Top 100. And um, the number one was a red wine, so they called it the best white wine in the world. It's pretty amazing. It was amazing. Yeah, I, I had to give a speech in front of a bunch of, of people at the New York Wine Experience about it. And I said to people, how many of you have ever gone into a restaurant and when the sommelier says, what can I help you find? You say, I'm looking for a great Oregon Chardonnay. <laughs> I mean, it really doesn't, <laughs> doesn't happen very much. <laughs> but um, I think the world is beginning to learn. You know, we don't make really enough of it. I mean, mm. as an industry here, to um, to compete in quantity and and be in restaurants, uh, um, you know, in retail mm -hmm. shops mm -hmm. around the states, like California, for instance, mm -hmm. you know, makes a sea of Chardonnay. <laughs> so, um, but I, I really like our our style in Oregon. We have uh, such nice acidity mm -hmm. as well as really complex fruit, and we we notice in Burgundy. Um, that they, they, they don't have 
the fruit quality mm -hmm. in their Chardonnays. They're beautiful Chardonnays. They have lots of acidity and they're well balanced. Mm -hmm. But the soils are different, and they don't they don't get the fruit that we get here. Mm -hmm. And I think they probably like their style better the way it is, and mm -hmm. we like our style better. <laughs> you know, you get used to what you're making and, and drinking, and, and mm -hmm. that usually becomes what you like. If it isn't what you like, you should make something else. <laughs> <laughs> so awards like that, tell me what that, uh, what that means to you in terms of how far you've come in your in Domain Serene's journey. Well, I thought for Oregon it was a wonderful thing, recognition of Oregon Chardonnay. Mm -hmm. And there are many producers of it now doing a good job. Mm -hmm. and, and it was, um, it was wonderful for people to see that award. Mm -hmm. I, I thought of that not, not just as us doing a great job, but the Oregon Chardonnay industry mm -hmm. doing really well. Mm -hmm. And um, any, any awards you know, that, that you get are, are such, um, such a fabulous honor for the winemaking team. They work so hard mm -hmm. all the time, trying to do the best they can. We pay attention to every little detail here and are always trying to figure out how we can make it just a little better every year. Mm -hmm. And to receive awards like that is just um, makes them feel really, really good about what they're doing. Mm -hmm. sure. So we talked about you talked about your new property in France. I'm I'm curious uh, what made you decide that, that was that you wanted to own a property in France and expand in that direction? Well, I think it was just coming full circle from our first love. We had thought about it um, before we came to Oregon, but it's a long commute. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't speak French. Menu French, a little wine French, mm -hmm. but not, not, we can't do a conversation very well. Mm -hmm. um, pleasantries is about all. Mm -hmm. um, so we, uh, I think it was, it was a good and a right thing that we came to Oregon first. Mm -hmm. But we have a, a team of people now and we were looking for a new challenge mm -hmm. and um, the idea of France came up and we thought it would take us a very long time uh, to purchase something mm -hmm. in France. It usually does. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to find things that are for sale. And I don't know, I think it was just divine destiny or something, this place just came up. Mm -hmm. um, we had a team of people over there searching for something when they got word about this. And um, the same day they looked at it and we put an offer on it the next day and it was ours. <laughs> and um, I mean, it was ours as far as the, the seller wanting to sell to us. Mm -hmm. Um, but then you have to go through these boards of bureaucracy where they decide if you're, you might be able to buy the property, but are you worthy of farming it? And are you worthy of making wine from it? Mm -hmm. and, and that can be a three-year process um, for them to figure out you can. Uh, we, were, we were told it could be three years before we'd actually be doing anything over there. And as it turned out, it was ours and we were farming in three months. Wow. And I think that's because they researched us and found out about Domain Serene and said this will be a good thing, not mm -hmm. a bad thing. They're very, very protective mm -hmm. of their vineyard, as they should be. Mm -hmm. How did, oh, go ahead, sorry. 
I was going to ask how that estate compares to the one you have here. You talked about the weather and soil differences. I'm curious, what are some of the uh, similarities and differences between your two estates? Um, well, the, the biggest thing over there is the history, which is mm -hmm. just absolutely fascinating. And uh, the first time I, I stood in the first of our vineyards, which was Pomar, I, I wept just to think that we're the stewards of this land now. Mm -hmm. And I hope someday somebody feels that way about Oregon a thousand years sure. from now. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have an idea how far back it goes in terms of making wine on this site? Um, well, we've heard as we've heard Roman Roman times, um, but for sure um, in 600. Oh. And um, I don't know if if they were doing things the way they are now, but um, yes, all of these vineyards uh, um, in the Cote d'Or are are very old. Mm -hmm. They um, were farmed by the monks mm -hmm. uh, way back when, who learned an awful lot about them. And by about 1100, they were categorizing vineyards as, um, you know, the best and the mm -hmm. middle and the so on. And um, it's, it's quite amazing. Mm -hmm. Our chateau dates back to 1431, and it was owned by Nicholas Roland, mm -hmm. who was the chancellor of Philip the Good. And he established the Hospice de Bonne, he and his wife, Gigon Celine. Um, he, as far back as we can go, it's 1431, and it was in 1443 that they started the Hospice de Bonne, which was a hospital mm. for indigent people, and in fact was the hospital of Bonne until 1970. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> so, yeah, it, is, it is amazing. So there's a lot of, of history there. And in Santenay, where our chateau is, um, the Knights Templar, when they came back from the Crusades, they liked to hang out in Santenay. And they started a vineyard that we own now. It's a monopole, a coal monopole, quote mm -hmm. um, a confrerie, which means the brotherhood. And they built their houses around this vineyard that they farmed and made wine from. And um, two of those houses still stand. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So I was just. There's something about all the history that it, you just it gives you a different mindset. Sure, sure. Do you have a similar to the question I asked about this estate? Do you have a long-term vision in mind for what you'd like to do with that estate? With, with, with in France, with your, with your new with your new French with your new French in, estate in France. Um, well, we want to we want to keep farming it and making wine as long as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, we have, we're in the process of making um, a purchase of, of an old couvery. We have a, we have a new couvery in an old building, and mm -hmm. a, a 15th century building, which is gravity flow. Mm -hmm. Everything has a cave under it. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, we're going to separate our whites and our reds again. Mm -hmm. They are, so we're, um, we've bought an old couvery that we're updating and um, also another building with more barrel space mm -hmm. um, and bottle, we want a bottle age too and right now we're doing that in a warehouse so we're going to be able to do that in caves as mm -hmm. well. So things are moving along over there 
But here, uh, we have recently put Domain Serene into a legacy trust. Mm -hmm. It will never be able to be sold. Mm. And um, I don't know of anybody else who's done this. We're not exactly sure how two year, 200 years from now that's going to be working. <laughs> <laughs> but we're trying to make it so that um, it will be it will be run by a board that really cares with an advisory board mm -hmm. and hopefully family members will be as involved as they want to be. Mm -hmm. They have to be qualified to do that. They can't just be involved because they're family members. <laughs> and um, and we, we've got a list of, of requirements and one is that the focus always be on top quality. Mm -hmm. uh, we've seen too many wine businesses that have sold in our country Mm -hmm. sold with a great name and great wine and five ten years later you know the wine has been tr quadrupled in mm -hmm. quantity and the quality has gone down and nobody cares the way the people who started it and named it um, nobody sure. cares what what they did anymore mm -hmm. and I, I can't bear that happening to mm -hmm. Domain Serene so this is what we're trying to do and time will tell if it will work but we've had many, many offers to sell, and we're not selling. <laughs> so you're never bored either. You're always doing projects and always adding on and tinkering, it seems like. Um, my husband and I love to create and build things mm -hmm. and grow things. It's, you know, other people play golf or <laughs> go have fun, and we just like to <laughs> create things and build things <laughs> and grow things. Do you have yeah. any other future plans along those lines? You mentioned both your plans on both sites. Do you have anything else in mind that you'd like to do or are hoping to do? Well, we do, but some things are secret. Okay. We'll just have to wait and find out together. <laughs> That's <I guess>. right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk a bit about your relationship with Linfield and, and how that came about. Uh, obviously, you gave a large gift to the school uh, earlier this year. Um, how did that start? How did you become aware of Linfield and its wine education? Well, we, we knew about Linfield before we knew about much of anything in Oregon because of IPNC, which I think is an absolutely fabulous idea, and I think it's been great for your college. It's also been great for the wine industry here because it brings people from all over, and then they go home and they talk about it. And, and I'm sure that you've gotten a lot of students at Linfield from parents who have come to the International Pinot Noir Celebration. Um, so we've, we've known about Linfield and, and um, uh, we did not know about the wine program mm -hmm. until some of your people came and mm -hmm. were explaining it to us and um, we just thought it was the best thing ever because we have had over the years so much difficulty finding really qualified people to work in the wine business. Mm -hmm. I mean. Um, it's getting much easier to convince winemakers to come to Oregon now. Usually they come from California or someplace else. Mm -hmm. um, in the beginning it was hard to get people to come here. Mm -hmm. But the other people that you need for help besides, besides vineyard and winemaking mm -hmm. um, to make a profitable business, you, you need business people. You need people in finance who understand how finance works in the wine world and um, you need people in hospitality and in sales and marketing mm -hmm. and just so many aspects of the business and I think having all of these people knowledgeable about all the different aspects um, 
what will really help the industry immensely if they choose to stay in Oregon, and we hope they will. Um, but they'll be, but they will be, um, they'll be able to find jobs anywhere mm -hmm. where wine is made. And right now, wine is made in every state of the United States, mm -hmm. even in the most unlikely places <laughs> like Hawaii and Alaska and mm -hmm. Florida. Mm -hmm. Yeah, being made. Someone will try it if they have, if they can, right? Yeah. Um, what was it about the about Linfield's program in particular that you, you mentioned producing qualified people? What was it about the program and the way it was laid out that appealed to you? Well, we we um, were told that you had a minor, mm -hmm. but that um, you were hoping for a major, mm -hmm. and that really interested us. Mm -hmm. And um, we um, endowed Greg Jones Chair mm -hmm. as the head of that department as well, and uh, he's such a such a knowledgeable man. You were very lucky, very lucky to get him. Um, we we have um, a place on the advisory council for this, and we're things are kind of still in the works. I know I know that you have students who have signed up, and school's about to start. Mm -hmm. And. Um, uh, we want to work with people on the curriculum and we want to make sure that people are taught to make the best wine possible. Because mm -hmm. there are many shortcuts that can be done and um, we want to make sure that this program is um, graduating people who are in, intent on making the best wine possible. So. As you're a part of the advisory council, as it's just sort of getting off the ground, do you have kind of a vision of what it's going to look like, what this program will look like in, say, 10 years? What do you hope it goes in terms of who it's attracting and what it's producing? Um, I don't really know how large the program can get. Mm -hmm. I, I haven't looked at that. Um, in another few years, I'd have a better idea. Mm -hmm. Right now, we're just trying to get it off the ground and running sure. in the best way possible. I know that there, um, we're going to be building a laboratory, mm -hmm. but first the building has to be built that the laboratory goes into. Mm -hmm. So um, there are many things yet to come that will improve the program, mm -hmm. but I think it's, it's getting off to a very good start. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, we talked about kind of about awards earlier. I'm curious what it means to you to have your yours and your husband's name attached to the program in such a way that you're kind of stewarding the future of Oregon wine. Is is that something that's meaningful to you? It it is meaningful to me. I guess um, the older people get, the more they want to leave some kind of a legacy. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe the best legacy is is one that that teaches people how to follow in your footsteps, mm -hmm. should they choose. Mm -hmm. So uh, it is meaningful to us to have, to have it be called the Evanstead Wine Center. Okay. Uh, on that note, I'm curious what you're proudest of from your time in the Oregon wine industry. Are there certain achievements or accomplishments that make you the proudest? Um, I, I don't think anything really stands out too much. Mm -hmm. um, 
Uh, actually, there is something, but I can't talk about it yet. <laughs> so you can erase that on the tape. <laughs> I just got an email yesterday. <laughs> something to look forward to. It's something, something uh, very, um, an honor very large is looming. Good. Which well. I cannot speak about yet. <laughs> well, congratulations in advance, Thank I suppose. <laughs> So you talked a little bit earlier about the about the future of Domain Serene, the, the legacy trust you've created, um, and and about making the best wine, that being the goal going forward. So where, where where do you see Domain Serene in 10, 20, 50 years? Do you see it continually growing? Do you see what what kind of changes do you hope we'll see, and what kind of things do you hope will stay the same? Well, the quality has to stay the same, um, which means that we we really can't make very much more wine. Mm -hmm. we're, we're at about capacity here. Mm -hmm. And um, so we have to come up with other ideas. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and we, we have some in the works. More and more, um, it's becoming difficult to sell through distribution. Mm -hmm. uh, when we first started out with our very first wine, we were told by the winemakers here that we should plan to sell at least 95% of it in Oregon because nobody else wanted it. And um, they, they, I mean, they were serious about this. They said they had gone out, they had tried, they had sold a little bit, but no, never any reorders and stuff like that. But when we tried that bottle, that first bottle of ours, we said anybody who likes Burgundy is going to like this wine. Mm -hmm. And we just have to let people know about it. So we went out and beat the bushes on the East Coast and Chicago and Minneapolis. And um, we, we sold almost all of our wine out of state. In fact, for the first 10 years, uh, most Oregonians didn't know we existed because we were selling all of our wine elsewhere. So that wasn't maybe the best idea, but we did but we did get the word out mm -hmm. about Pinot Noir. There was, at that time, no national market for domestic Pinot Noir. So when we went to when we went to New York, we they would this one wine buyer said, "What is Pinot Noir and where's Oregon?" <laughs> so it was an uphill climb, <laughs> but it worked. Now um, well, here we are, almost thirty years later. And um, distribution has always been problematic, but the more wines there are being made, the more problematic it becomes. And distributors are consolidating. Uh, huge companies merging with huge companies, and they have thousands of wineries that they represent. Mm -hmm. How are you going to get their attention? You know, if you're right there in front of them, you might have their attention for one day, but the moment you leave, mm -hmm. their attention is elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And um, an, a problem about distribution is that you can't tell your story. And who in their head could keep track of a thousand different stories, you know? Sure. It's, it's, it, it's not happening anymore. It's, it's gotten gradually worse and worse and worse. Mm -hmm. And, um, and we're finding that more and more and more we like to sell direct. We still want our wine to be out there. I think you have to be to be viable. You have to be in good restaurants. But um, you, don't, you don't have to, we're thinking we don't have to sell as much as we have been in distribution. Mm -hmm. We're also in maybe 15 different countries. And with 40,000 cases of wine, it's stretched pretty thin. Mm -hmm. 
So um, I, I see us uh, putting more effort into the direct-to-consumer. Mm -hmm. It's also much better for the bottom line. Sure. And for any business to be sustainable, you have to be profitable. <laughs> Some people think profit is a dirty word, but it's what keeps the business going. Sure, sure. Yeah. We have this new clubhouse now to attract people to buy your wine right here, so it makes sense. <laughs> yes, that's true. Um, so what are some of the, in addition to, besides just the pure size of the industry and how much it's grown, what are some of the other changes you've noticed in the organ industry since you joined it through to, until now? Well, I think that quality has gotten better, but I would say that about every growing region in the world almost. Um, since 1990, since 1989, wine quality has gotten better. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that has to do with the wine reviewers. They're, they're going, they, you know, they're out there and they're tasting everything and, and they're telling you whether you're making it well or whether you're not. And in the beginning, I remember when Robert Parker came to our winery in 1990, I mean, he had all kinds of suggestions. Mm -hmm. He was helping people to make better wine. And, um, and I, I think that quality has improved everywhere. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm, of course, most happy to see it improve in Oregon. Yeah. And what do you see the Oregon industry going in the future? What do you think the next, say, 10, 20 years looks like here in Oregon? I think just more wineries, <laughs> I think so. Mm -hmm. And maybe planting in different places. Mm -hmm. um, Southern Oregon has grown quite a bit as well. Mm -hmm. And um, the Walla Walla area of Oregon is almost totally planted out now. Um, I think I'm seeing patches on Parrot Mountain mm -hmm. um, and closer to Portland in farm areas along the way. Yeah. I don't know how that will work out. Um, the soils are all different, but um, it's a story yet to be told. We'll find out. Sure. So it's all the questions that I have prepared for you. Um, is there anything else you'd like to say? Anything I should have asked that I did not ask? Any parting words? <laughs> parting words. Well, it's been a pleasure talking with you today. Thank you. And I think your, your Oregon history area at Linfield is a very special thing. It's, it's acknowledging an industry that I think has saved Yamhill County. Um, that one thing we didn't talk about was the sorry state of affairs in Yamhill County when we came here. Um, so many industries had were folding, mm -hmm. the, the small, farmer with 10 acres, mm -hmm. the, uh, the Main Street, uh, 3rd Street mm -hmm. in McMinnville was about a third boarded up. Um, Walmart had come in the little individual shops selling sewing machines or, um, you know, those little businesses which had folded 15 years earlier in other places mm -hmm. were just starting to go down here mm -hmm. and without any industries to replace them. And with peach blight and mm -hmm. walnuts, I mean, th the orchards were not doing well and um, people weren't getting the money for their crops that could sustain them. Sure. And along came wine. It saved everything from subdivision. Mm -hmm. All these hills where you can't, 
it's either orchards or grapes mm -hmm. because it's too steep for anything else. It would have been subdivision if it hadn't been for the wine business. Mm -hmm. And um, we've also employed a lot of people mm -hmm. who were out of work. And it's been, it's been really a treat to see um, Yamhill County doing well. Good. Well, it was also a pleasure to speak to you, and thank you so much for your time and for your answers. Uh, and if that's everything, we'll go ahead and stop the taping there. Okay. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield College. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. And a special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.